I don't know if we really need to talk tonight after that. That was amazing. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Did you have fun today? Yeah. It's been so good to meet with you, talk with some of you around the lake. It was a great day. It was so fun to be in the sunshine, wasn't it? I am excited tonight because we get to talk about receiving the rest of Jesus. And I love, I mean, as we think back, I can't believe last, last night seems like it was three days ago, doesn't it? But um, as we think about last night and think about how Jesus invites us to come, right? Coming however we are, um, coming close. Some of us may not have come yet, and that's okay. We are so glad you're here. You are brave. Some of us come with hesitation, but we, he invites us all to come, right? And then this morning, thinking about his example, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so just learning the way of Jesus and his humility and gentleness and how he aligned himself with the Father and stayed near to the Father in order to live that gentle and humble life out. And then tonight we're going to talk about as we come and as we think about the model of Jesus, how does that play into giving us rest? So I have been, this has been such a good message for me as I've shared with you even last night. But as I think about rest, one of the songs that came to mind is the song, It Is Well With My Soul. You know that song? <laughs> um, Horacio, what's his last name? Spafford. I don't know if you know the story of the song, but he lived in the 1800s and is, he survived the Chicago fire and lost a lot of his finances and very close to that, lost his four-year-old son. And he sent his wife and four daughters across the sea to Wales. And on their way to Wales, they were, uh, I think it was a Scottish ship, hit their ship. And the ship went down, and his four daughters died. And so his wife went on to Wales, and... He heard from his wife, and his wife said, you know, it's just me, and what should I do? And he went across the sea, and when he got near the site where his daughter, where the accident had been, the ship captain told him, you know, this is, this is where it happened. And that is where he pinned the words to, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So how does a man facing tragedy and loss like that find wellness in his soul, find rest and peace in his soul? I know, I don't know about you, but I've been in seasons where I could barely sing that song. And... 
he had a faith and trust in a Jesus that was bigger than his circumstances, didn't he? How do we find rest? It is a wholehearted belief in who leads us and who saved us. How do we find rest? Horacio had a full belief in who loved him and who saved him. And somehow that person of Jesus Christ gave him peace in his heart that he could say, it is well in my soul. Rest is a divine gift, but conditional on the choice for us to come. In order to receive that rest, we have to come. Remember my tension of just staying away from Jesus at a distance? Because I didn't want to enter the pain with him. But when I did, he came as I was there. It's roots, true rest in Jesus. The roots of Jesus are unshakable. Many of you can probably testify of that in your life. Rest is a state of unthreatened well-being. Because Jesus died for us, forgave us, and rose from the dead. And no one can threaten that and what has been done for us. Amen? Yeah. Nothing in our lives can stand against the love and promise that he brought through the cross. So let me give you a working definition of rest or peace. Shalom peace is a realization of a deep peace or sense of ultimate well-being with, with regards to one's relationship with God and his commandment that overflows into all of life. So as I just kind of studied this idea of rest, it was interesting to me as I looked at Hebrews 3 and 4, and we're going to look at that later, that God brought rest since the beginning of creation, right? That's where we get the idea of the Sabbath. If you turn to Genesis 2-2, it says that God finished his work, he perfected his work, and on the seventh day, he rested from the work he had done. And I did a little bit of study on that verse. And do you know he didn't rest because he was tired? He rested because it was finished. His creation was done. The thing that he had in his head and that he brought to life through the beautiful creation was finished, complete, in awe. It was almost a commemoration of what he had created. Doesn't that sound parallel to the cross? It is finished. It is done. We have relief. We have rest. And that's what it means in Genesis chapter 2 when God was finished with his work and on the seventh day he rested. Well, then we go to Psalm 95 and you can look in verses 8, 9, and 11 where he refers to the rest that he offered the Israelites. So you know the story. They were in Egypt, right? Just working, working, working. Just in slavery, in bondage. And God makes an offer to lead them into the promised land and to rest. But what did we see the entire journey into the promised land and rest? 
We saw disobedience, we saw idol worship, we saw groaning and moaning. And so the whole way, as he has promised them, rest and security and peace in a land of milk and honey, they complained and whined and were disobedient. And then in Numbers 14, 8 and 9, we can see where we get to that point with Joshua where it says, Surely you will not come into the land, and this land was the place of God that was given them to rest. So again, this place where, or later Joshua, this place that God promised, but they're not able to enter the land in that generation because of their disobedience. They didn't believe God and his promises to bring them rest. Can you relate? So then if you turn to Hebrews 4, let me just show you in Hebrews, actually chapter 3, verse 7. Because so we see this struggle we have to believe God that he actually will offer rest. To believe God that whatever we face in life, that he has offered us rest for our soul. And in Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 11, now we see it later after we watch the Israelites all through the Old Testament. And thousands of years later, we see in Hebrews 3, chapter 7, it says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, they the Israelites, as in the day of the wilderness, where... I, get, I can't see this light very well, sorry. When your fathers tried me as testing me, and now my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So here we see in Hebrews, he refers to this time where the Israelites right, didn't receive the rest of the Lord. They couldn't enter the rest of the Lord. But then we're going to see the hope of chapter 4 in a minute. But first, I want to point out too, in Psalms, the people of God went constantly to God in the midst of their doubts to him to find rest, to find strength for their souls. In Psalm 97, 17, 18, it says, If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have dwelt in the abode of silent. If I should say my foot has slipped, God, your loving kindness will hold me up. Isaiah 30, 15 says, In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Psalm 116.7 says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountiful with you. And Jeremiah 6.16 says, Stand by the ways and see and ask for ancient paths, for where the good way is, walk ye in it, and you will find rest. Psalm 62.5-7 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Psalm 107.9, I satisfy the weary ones, and I refresh everyone who languishes. That's in Jeremiah 31.25. Psalm 107.9, he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has lifted up with what is good. So we just see this, this pattern of going to God, finding that he is 
their rock and their fortress, but also the disobedience of not believing that he ultimately will find rest. So then we get to the, the first point that I, I want to focus on tonight, where we have the opportunity to find true rest in the person of Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I come I wanted to say John 10, 10, I come to offer you abundant life. But John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father but by me. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we find rest, like we've talked about in every talk, in this connection, in this reception, in this interchange with the person of Jesus. Did you sense that when we sang the third, the song right before the last one even? That connection with the authority of Jesus Christ changes everything, the encounter with Jesus. The redemption of mankind is the most important finished task that we can look at as believers in Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 and 5 says we are dead in our transgressions, but alive with Christ. So there's something about this interaction with the divine, our divine Jesus, that makes us alive and is able to receive rest for our souls. It's not in our circumstances. Oswald Chambers says, Personal contact with Jesus alters everything. And I think that's the point that we're trying to make this weekend, is that this close and personal contact with Jesus is the thing that alters everything. Augustine says we are most satisfied when we are satisfied in him. Jesus' greatest desire is that we find the debt, the need, the Rest we so desperately need, which is the rest only that he can give. Rest is a divine promise in a person, isn't it? And let me just kind of create an example for you in my own life of how this has happened. Similar to Monday, but different. When my son, Theo, he's my third child, and just know I always ask him, if it's okay to share his information with you. But, um, I'm, and I, so this is 10 years later and I'm still crying about it, but I'm gonna try to hold it together. So when he was 11 years old, we got home from a cruise and he stopped eating. He wouldn't put anything in his mouth. And I, I'm like, that is really weird. It just nothing, he would not literally put a piece of food in his mouth. And, and then it kept going for a few days. So I take him to the pediatrician, and she says, you need, need to take him to UCLA. They have an inpatient treatment center for eating disorders. So I took him to UCLA, and that was like three weeks before his 11th birthday. And when we got to the hospital, they said, you need to leave him here. Like, he's in danger of his life. And literally, we got in our car, left my 11-year-old son there, almost 11, and drove home without our son. 
And I remember ask, like crying out to Jesus on the way home, thinking, what, what in the world are we going to do? And I thought, oh, you know, desperate. But in two or three weeks, knowing it was his birthday, and he'll be, he'll be good by next week, or he'll be good by the end of this week. And then his birthday went by, and then Christmas, and then New Year's, and then Easter, and eight months later, he went in, I mean, not the eight months later, but right after he entered the hospital, he went into a severe depression that they couldn't turn around. So those days, of course, I knew my Jesus. That was 10 years ago. I would lay on the floor crying out to Jesus, knowing who he is and wanting to encounter him to walk through every day without my son. Many days not seeing any results, many days not knowing if he would live. And yet trusting the words of that God says, Brooke gave me the reference right before I came and I forgot again. But he says he redeems the days the locusts have eaten. And every day I would say to Jesus, you redeem God the things that we can't. You redeem the days that are stolen from our children. You redeem the days that are stolen from us. And I'm going to bank my life on that. And then we met with the doctor and he said, you can talk to him about whatever you want but don't talk to him about your life with God. He knew we were pastors, that my husband was a pastor. And I thought, I, if there's one thing I know in my life, it's I know that the word of God is trustworthy and Jesus is our redeemer. And I'm going to bank my life on that and I'm going to trust you, God, and not this doctor that's telling me that. And it just went on day to day. I can tell you so many instances, but over and over again, my Jesus, hopefully your Jesus, redeemed days. He's still redeeming days. He's, he came out of the hospital in May, and then another year he went to in treatment, and then another year we acclimated him back to school, and he's doing great now. Praise God. But during those days when all my circumstances looked bleak, I remember Brooke applying to college that year. I couldn't help her. I couldn't work on her essays. I couldn't even look at where she was applying. I could barely function. But Jesus would come through in such a personal way, and many times it would be through community. One time this woman, she was Korean, and I say that because I feel like Koreans have a lot of faith in prayer. And I don't even know who she was or where she came from. And she showed up at my door and she said, our whole church is praying that your son would be healed. And she would show up every week with little things to remind me of her bold prayers. Another lady, when daffodils were on sale at Trader Joe's, she bought, you know, I remember they were so cheap. She probably bought like 300 of them. And they were in a bucket, and it was right before Easter, and when she walked in my courtyard with those daffodils blooming, it was like a visual of the resurrection and of life. 
It was so many daffodils, like no one buys that many. And it was like the abundant love of Jesus and the victory that he had on the cross. And it just like, I don't know, it was a vision of hope for me. That's how personal our Jesus is when we encounter him. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. The rest is in the divine promise in the person of Jesus Christ. I was going to read you this silly poem, but it's like so silly compared to what I was talking about. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) But I think the problem with rest is that we enter rest by faith in him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? With faith, he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So there's this marriage between the faith we have in who Jesus is and what is true and how that rest comes through the person of Jesus. But it requires faith. As I walked through those days with Theo's illness, I could not look at what I saw. We had one hour in this lockdown every day to see our son. What I saw was devastating. And many times we'd shut the locked door behind us and walk down the hall with kids screaming to come back. But I had to choose to believe what my Redeemer said was true. And I had the choice to look here and see the reality of what was in front of me or to believe what Jesus said was true. And that what he did on the cross, the miraculous work of the cross, the resurrection, conquering death, he can do in our lives too. Whatever's dead in our lives, he can bring to life just like he did on the cross. He brought my son back to life. He brings, he's brought so many areas in my life from dead to life. It's like a chair. We know or see what a chair is. And we, someone tells us, well, that has, I wish I had one up here, just so you can, like, remember this. Just pretend it's sitting right here. But someone tells you that, you know, that thing, it has four legs and it has a back. And when, when you sit on it, it holds your weight. Like, really? Oh, it does? It gives you rest when you sit in it. I'm like, okay, so we know what it is, Right? We know who Jesus is. We know what the word says. But then we decide if we're going to agree with it, right? Like, okay, I believe you. That thing holds my, really? It holds my weight? Okay, I agree. Okay, Jesus, you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I agree. But am I going to trust that chair and sit in it? Do I really believe that that's going to hold my weight? It's not till I sit in the chair and trust it that the rest comes, right? Because I'm sitting and I'm relieved because I've actually believed the purpose that it serves, right? So when we believe what Jesus teaches and we believe who he is and who he claims to be and we don't just agree with it, but we actually climb up in his arms and place our life in it, that's when the rest comes. 
That's when we're not standing on our legs by ourselves anymore. Because he's holding us. Because he's giving us rest. We don't have to muster it up. It doesn't come from us. It's nothing we do. It's everything he's done. Amen? So that's the Jesus we have. That's the encounter I'm talking about. When we think and live like he is worthy of our complete faith and trust, then we start to experience rest. Let's turn to Hebrews 4 now. So this is the good part. Hebrews 4, and let's start in verse 6. This is so powerful. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, the rest he's referring to, and those who formerly had good news preached to them but failed to enter it because of disobedience, so he's contrasting those that remain that can enter it and those who didn't enter it. He says he again fixes a certain day and he quotes today. Today, now, now is the time we can enter his rest. He's saying through David after so long a time, just as he has been and said before, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts because you have the chance today to enter his rest. This might be your moment to enter his rest of salvation, but also to enter his rest of ongoing sanctification where we're becoming more like Jesus. Today might be our day, he says, for, skip verse 8 and then go to verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Isn't that great hope? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Remember Genesis 2-2. So we get to enter that same kind of commemorative, oh my gosh, Jesus died for me and rose again. And all power and authority is in him. And he can actually give me rest. He's the chair. Okay, wait, go back to the passage. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from the works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Go for it. Let's go for it. So that none, no one will fail through following the same example of disobedience. We don't want to make the same mistake of our ancestors, right? We want to dive in for the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and pierces as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God can work in us and live in us and create rest. We can enter the rest of God and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest. Here he is, like, like Brooke said. Here he is. He's walked this road himself because he suffered. And he responded in a gentle and loving way. 
So we have a high priest who can't, cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. What an offer. And today might be the day where you finally realize this is what Jesus came for. And this is the Jesus that I need to forgive me, to place my faith in. Or you might be the one that says, today is the day. I have these burdens. I am weary. And I am going to stop propping myself up on my own because I have a high priest that can sympathize with my weaknesses. He has, he has walked there and he has not sinned. That's the offer he makes us today. I just want to flesh this out with a couple more examples. I mentioned on last night, three days ago, about my identity. That's been a thing um, that can can crawl into that burden role because of my history or I can believe what's true of me and settle down in the chair and rest in my identity. So constantly, but in Japan, when I learned 1 Peter chapter 1, if any of you need help with identity, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And you will see that when the Spirit of God, remember how it says that the Word of God is active living and sharper than any two-edged sword. When you read the word of God, you know what happens? When you read the word of God, the spirit takes the word of God and he plants it in our heart. And because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he gives us life. It, with Jesus, the spirit works in our life and in our heart and in our mind and creates life in us. Remember when I said that wasn't there before. So my identity was here before because of my background, but when I learned what was true in 1 Peter, I learned that an inheritance had been given, that I was the beloved, that I was the chosen, that I was redeemed, that I was sprinkled with his blood, that I was his royal priesthood, and at that moment, I decided, Jesus, you're the chair, and I am resting and receiving that rest from you, and I'm going to walk in that now the rest of my life. Now, if the enemy wants to kind of mess with me, he goes there. But I have to go back to that truth, those truths that God put in my heart, that he brought to life through the word of God, that is my new vision and identity. One season in my life, I was praying for a husband for my middle daughter, Brittany. And Brittany is adorable. All through high school and college, she had never dated anyone seriously, you know, gone to sorority parties and things like that, but just had never had a significant relationship. So she gets out of college, and I, a mother, I'm sure there's no other mothers in here like that, start to get worried because she doesn't have a significant other. So every day on my walk in the morning, I would pray for Brittany's husband. And I was so determined to pray for Brittany's husband. I knew God was going to bring Brittany's husband. And one day I remember exactly where I was 
in the street. And this was a burden, let me tell you. It was a burden. Like, I cared. And every day I'd carry that burden. And, you know, as years went by, it was like the burden got heavier the older she got, right? Well, one day I'm walking in the morning and the Lord brought to mind Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And he said, Denise, trust, it's the verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I love when he does that. Because he said, trust me, Denise. Don't lean on the fact that all you care about is that she has a husband. He did. He just told, he just, stop it. Lean on me, trust in me as you pray for Brittany. And so I started, pray, I started, it changed my prayer. And I said, Lord, I trust you. I'm crazy. I want to trust you. I don't want to lean on my own understanding that I think Brittany needs a husband this year. <laughs> and I started praying and praying that God would do the work that he has for Brittany. I do this so much, you guys. I, I mess up. But I started to pray for his will to be done. And what he wanted to teach Brittany in Brooke, right? Those next years in Brittany's life, I think she's always going to look back on and say they were the best, some of the best years of her life. She moved to New York and worked in the inner city in the Bronx and the boroughs. And God met her there. And they are going to be a benchmark for the rest of her life. And I was wrong. My burden wasn't the burden that God wanted me to pray for. He wanted me to rest in him and watch the great way that he worked. And she did meet her husband through her sister. <laughs> and I'm so glad. No, but you know the things that you bring to the Lord. You know those burdens that you carry. And God says, give them to me. Give them to me and receive from me. Let the word of God richly dwell within you. It's alive. Let my word dwell within you. Meet me in my presence. And let me transform your perspective. Okay, I'm going way too long here. So lastly... Going back to Hebrews. In Hebrews, we see that he is reminding them that today may be the day you have the opportunity to enter the rest of the Lord. And even with this verse, knowing the hope that we have, in our high priest, sometimes that is so hard to turn towards him because our will just won't do it. And I want to close with a story of my daddy. You heard about him last night. So for 40 years, we prayed that my dad would come to know Jesus. And, I, yeah, 40 and for about 35, I prayed hard 
And there was no vision in front of me of any kind of life change. No vision. There was even mockery. The drinking continued. There was no hope that my dad would put his faith and trust in the Lord. And we would pray every time, you know, when he'd come to a program or a church thing, you know, you have people you know that you love. You know that burden. And we would pray for him and we would ask God to meet him in a profound way and we, we didn't see it. In about two years before he got cancer, um, I taught a class in kind of a large church. It was probably like a group this size. And I said, you know, I just can't pray for my dad anymore. I have just lost hope. I've prayed for so long. It was like a teaching on evangelism or, you know, sharing your faith with someone you love. And I was just like, I'm done. Like, I've prayed my head off. And the burden was just so heavy. And it was so cool. Because this is what we have as community of women. There were a couple gals that came up in the middle of my, it'd be like if you came up right now. And they said, we, we're going to carry that burden with you. We're going to pray for your dad. And so they began to pray for my dad. And even the fact that they said, you know, you know the verse where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. Even the fact that they came forward and said they'd pray made me say, okay, I'll, I'll keep praying. <laughs> and so we prayed for my dad. And at the age of 60, he got colon cancer. And when he got the cancer, he um, was told that it was, he was going to die. And so he had to stop drinking right when he got the colon cancer. And he'd been in the hospital about a week, and it had been like, um, like kind of life or death as he came out of the surgery. And we're about seven days in, and I'm, oh gosh, I'm so excited to tell you this right now. We're about seven days in, and I get a call from my dad. And I'm, I'm watering my flowers out in Orange County. And he's like, Denise? And I'm like, oh, hi, Dad. I can't believe you're using the phone. And he's like, I just received the Lord. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, he, and he used a cuss word, because he goes... No S, I did. <laughs> he was kind of a cusser. And he didn't know yet, like he knew, well, whatever. He, he just said, he said, I did. And I go, you're kidding, Dad, what happened? And he said, well, Ed McGlasson came to the hospital and he told me that this is the day that I need to meet Jesus. And I said, Really? I mean, this is my faith by then, right? And I'd prayed all those years. And he said, and I realized I do need Jesus. And I just sat there and wept. And let me tell you, he lived for two years. But that man began to grow in Jesus and know the personal face of Jesus in his pain and suffering and it totally changed him. Jesus changed him from the inside out. He would say things like, well, I don't know. I know what I shouldn't do, 
like cuss. But I don't know what I should do. That's like Paul, right? In, in Romans, he goes, I know what I need to like throw off, but I just, I feel like naked. I don't know what to put on. And I'm like, dad, the Bible talks about that. We put off our old and we put on our new. But anyway, I could go on and on because that is the Jesus we have. The Jesus that wants to meet us. The Jesus that wants to change us. The Jesus that wants to bring us rest in the most unsuspecting way, in the most devastating of circumstances, in the most hopeless of situations, in the most unruly lives. He wants to intercede. He wants to step in as our high priest, and he wants to bring us rest. Today might be your day. Think about it. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, for our high priest who sympathizes in our weakness and is so near and brings hope that changes lives, that conquered death. God, we come to you tonight hearing your words in Hebrews, that today may be our day. It may be our very big day where we place our faith in you, and it may be our big day where we trust you to bring rest in areas of our life that seem dead, that you bring back to life. Thank you for the hope you give us in your son, Jesus. We are grateful for our gentle and humble king. And we pray in his name. Amen.